Hey, good morning for those of y'all that are up on this Saturday morning. I hope you've got a copy of God's Word. Let me tell you, um, today is Saturday, uh, of course. Tomorrow is Resurrection Sunday. And uh, I'll be here at 7 o'clock in the morning. You're going to be up looking for a sunrise service. Just come on here, and we're going to go through that last statement of Christ, which to me is the most moving uh, on Easter Sunday morning. Now, Monday morning, uh, I won't be here, but Trey Brunson, my son, uh, will be. And he's going to take you this coming week through the book of Joshua. Uh, he'll be clipping along through it, you know, at a, at a pretty good clip, but he's going to give you basically an outline of the book of Joshua for the week. I'm going to be studying all this coming week for my um, uh, doctoral comps, and uh, I just need that time to concentrate and get ready for that. And if you think about it, uh, please just say a prayer for me. Pray that I don't uh, flunk. Pray that I don't embarrass all my ancestors and the church and my wife and kids. So, good. Now, you've got a copy of God's Word. I'm going to take you to a different passage. Now, I'm going to go back to John chapter 19, but I'm going to take you, I want you to listen to this this morning. I want to take you to 1 John uh, chapter 3. I, I, I almost... Um, I almost put together this morning just some of these concepts to show you the theme that's been going through, not just the gospel of John, uh, but also through the epistle, epistles of John and the book of Revelation. Have you noticed in the last couple of days how all these things have been woven in and through the gospel of John, the epistles of John, and the Revelation? Well, let me take you to 1 John chapter 3. And really the second part of verse 8. Listen to what it says. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Now that is a powerful statement. It, it gives you John's perspective on why Jesus came. He said the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Now keep that in mind. And I want you to go back now to John chapter 19. <clears throat> John chapter <clears throat> 19. And think about what John just said in 1 John chapter 3, the second part of verse 8. As I read this, verse 30. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Now think about what John just said. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. And then on the cross, the sixth word from the sixth word from the cross is the word, it is finished. Well, um, let me take you now on a little bit of a journey. Because we think of the anguish of Christ on the cross, <clears throat> I want to lead back up to that. You think of the anguish of Jesus on the cross. Let me tell you, that's not the only time that he had anguish. It wasn't the only time that he, he hurt. It wasn't the only time that he suffered. Back in John chapter 2, do you remember where his ministry starts? In Cana of Galilee, he's at a wedding, at a very uh, happy, uh, celebrative uh, event 
uh, and he's there and his mother comes up to him. Uh, I would think somewhat of a panic. She didn't want these uh, friends, maybe even family members uh, to be embarrassed. And so she said, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. Now, I want you to think about that because now Jesus is going to say that all the way through the gospel. My hour has not come. You get to John chapter seven, verse 30. I hope you've got a pen and a journal and you can take some notes here. John chapter seven, verse 30, when they were seeking to seize him, listen to what it says. And no man laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come. You get over to John chapter eight and verse 20. In fact, let me just, let me just get over there. John chapter eight and verse 20. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Uh, you come to uh, John chapter 12 and verse 23. It's interesting. Jesus answered them, the hour has come. These Greeks had come to see Jesus. You remember they come up and they come to Philip and uh Philip comes and he tells Andrew, they want to see Jesus. And Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Then he comes down in verse 27, still in John chapter 12. Now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. He's constantly referring to this hour. John chapter 13, verse one. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knowing that his hour had come. Think about that. John chapter 17, he's going to mention it again in that high priestly prayer. John chapter 17, and listen to, listen to what he says in verse one. Jesus spoke these things, lifting up his eyes to heaven. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Now, I want to put that in perspective for you. Jesus knew his entire ministry, why he was here. Jesus knew his entire ministry, what he was headed to do. Back at 12 years of age, do you remember when his parents come back and find him in the temple and he says to them, do you not know that I have to be about my father's business? He had a very clear understanding then that he was here on a mission from the father. And all through his ministry, he's moving toward that hour. He's moving toward the hour of crucifixion. He's moving toward the hour where there would be separation from the Father. He's moving toward that hour of pain and suffering. Now, just to put that in perspective, how many of you fret and have anxiety when you've got to go to the dentist next week? Now, you just think of that. I do. I tell you what, I, I do. I, I just dread it coming. I got to go to the dentist, even just to have my teeth clean. I just even dread that. But I want you to think he knew what was coming. And six months away from his crucifixion, he began to explain and to share with these disciples what was going to take place. He knew that he was going to be crucified. He knew that he was going to have to suffer and die. Now, just tuck that away 
And let's go back to John chapter 19 and verse 30. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. If you go back to Matthew chapter 27, in Matthew chapter 27, it says, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice. Mark chapter 15 says the same thing. He says that Jesus uttered out this loud cry. Now, John comes and he simply states it this way. He said, now I say that to say this, what Jesus said in that moment, this cry was not a weak admission. My life is finished. It was the shout. It was, I would say it was, it was the shout of the battle cry, victory over the enemy. It wasn't a whimper. It wasn't a whisper. It wasn't a faint, uh, you know, practically indiscernible statement there. It was, it was a shout, a cry, done, finished. It was a statement of power. Now, let me take that little word because it is just one word, teltelestai in the Greek. It is the perfect passive indicative third person singular. And you say, well, now what difference does that make? <laughs> it makes tremendous amount of difference because let me tell you what that, what that is saying. Jesus did not say, I am finished. He didn't say that in the first person. He said it in the third person, it is finished. Uh, he said it in the indicative mood. Uh, that's certainty. He didn't say it might be finished or it should be finished by now. He says it is finished. Certainty, indicative, passive voice. It's the passive, which means that there is this outside force that has come and worked on this. That's what the passive means. It's this outside force. What's the outside force? Well, let me, let me give you that out of Acts chapter two in the preaching of Peter on the day of Pentecost. Listen to what he says. This man, speaking of Jesus, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men, put him to death, but God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. When Jesus used the passive voice, he says the power of God has acted and it is finished. Um, that is a powerful statement just in that word, teltelestai. It is finished. Not I am finished. Uh, not that it might be finished or it should be finished or it ought to be finished, but it is finished. And it is finished because this is the plan of God and the power of God at work. Now, let me, I, you know, there are a lot of ways that word was used, but let me tell you one way that word was used. It was used by the priest. Uh, yesterday would have been the day that they would have brought their Passover sacrifices. 
and they brought those lambs and they brought those animals to be sacrificed. And the priests were trained to look for spots and blemishes. They checked to see, is this animal well? In fact, every time I take a group to Israel, I'll go down to Bethlehem and I love to go down to Shepherd's Field. And there at Shepherd's Field, I, I, I get them to look out over the fields that are there where the sheep were kept uh, there by priests that were taken up to the temple for a sacrifice. Those sheep there in Bethlehem were the sheep that were carried up to the temple to be sacrificed. And they were watched over by these, these priests who happened to be shepherds, and they would send priests down there to train them. Somewhere around 18 months to three years, they would be there to be trained on how you could detect uh, if a lamb was perfect, if it was teltelestai, if it was perfect, if it was complete, if it was finished. And uh, there they studied and they looked at that so that when Jesus Christ was crucified, let me tell you, he was the perfect complete lamb of God. Now, do you know how I know that? Because the demons knew that. Uh, the demons knew and admitted that Jesus was the son of God. In fact, in Mark chapter four, they call him the holy one of God. The demons admit that. His enemies had to admit that he was perfect. He was the sinless, perfect lamb of God. They had to admit it because they had to hire liars who would bear false witness in a trial against Jesus. Pilate, the Roman governor, had to admit it because he said, I find no fault in this man. He declared him teltelestai. He is without fault. And even Judas himself admitted it. The very one who betrayed Jesus said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. He was the perfect lamb of God. But now what did Jesus mean when Jesus said it is finished? Well, John chapter 17, again, just a page or two back in that high priestly prayer, Jesus comes in verse four and he says this, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. I have accomplished it. I have finished it. I finished the work. What did he finish? He finished the work of a son, a faithful son. He finished the work of a faithful servant and he finished on the cross when he cried out, it is finished. He had finished the work of a savior. Now, do you know what that means for us now? It means now that he faithfully serves us seated at the right hand of the father. We have an advocate with the father. If you sin, first John chapter two, one, two, and three. If you sin, we have an advocate with the father. That's what he does. He is our advocate. Number two, he is faithful to deliver us from temptation. Right now, he's faithful to do that. Number three, he's faithful to forgive us when we sin. And number four, he is faithful to keep us until we meet him face to face. Second Timothy chapter one, verse 12, 
I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Well, that was a shout of victory. You know what Matthew, Matthew's gospel is for the Jew. He writes uh, that Jesus, from the perspective that Jesus is the king of Israel, he is the descendant of David who uh, has the right to the throne of David. And he writes uh, in his gospel that when Jesus cried, this cry, it is finished, that there in the temple, that veil rent from the top to the bottom. Now, that temple's inter- uh, that veil is interesting for this. It was 60 feet long and 20 feet tall. And it was four inches thick. And they say that you could take and tie a team of horses to either end and they could not tear it apart. Uh, that, uh, that veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, it was torn from the top to the bottom. He was saying it is fit. All of this ritual, all of this ceremony now was finished because he had kept the law sinlessly. He kept the law. He was perfect, the perfect lamb of God. He did that. He put an end to all of that ceremony. And now you and I can go right to the throne of God the Father because of his sacrifice. It is finished. That cry. I am convinced that when Jesus cried that out, that it reverberated all the way down through the halls of Sheol, where the righteous of God from the Old Testament resided. There, as they called it in the bosom of Abraham, I think Abraham, listen, I am convinced that Abraham heard that cry And he turned and he looked at Isaac and he said, that for which I took you to Mount Moriah has now been finished. And I think Isaac turned to Jacob and he looked at Jacob and he said, Jacob, it's finished. And I think Jacob turned to Joseph and I think he looked at Joseph and he said to Joseph, it is finished. I am convinced that when Jesus cried that cry, that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the righteous who died in the Lord in the Old Testament heard it, I am also convinced that it rang over the balustrades of heaven itself and down the corridors of glory so that those seraphim and cherubim and those burning spirits who were poised to move at a moment should Jesus Christ have cried out for them to come and save him, that at that moment they bowed and they understood that it was finished. I am convinced that that word rang down through hell itself. Down through the labyrinth of hell itself and that every demon and every devil clamped their wickedly webbed hands over their acicular ears when they heard it is finished. And they heard that it was finished. Do you understand that when Jesus said it is finished, 
He didn't say, I've just put a down payment on this and you have to pay it off. I remember back my first year of college, I wrecked my car in the snow going up to North Greenville. And it was wrecked. Um, my dad had to come up, pick me up, go get the car uh, after the snow had melted. And um, pick us up and bring us back home. And when I got home, he took me around the garage and behind the garage, there was a, my first new car. And it was uh, a Toyota Celica GT. And I loved it. it cost $5,000. And I went around there and I was in disbelief. And I said, Dad, did you buy this car for me? And he said, I got the car for you. I've made the first payment. Here's the payment book. You'll pay the rest of it. Jesus, Jesus didn't do that on the cross. He didn't say, I've put a down payment on your salvation. Jesus said, I 